There we go. All right. Now people online can hear me. Uh, good morning. If you are a first-time guest, my name is Aaron. I normally don't forget my mic, but uh, glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, how many of you have ever been to the dentist and received some not-so-good news? Okay, yeah, quite a few hands. You go and you find out... I don't know what was said, but uh, hopefully their teeth are still in place. Uh, you find out you've got a cavity... Uh, you've got gum disease, uh, you need a root canal, you need a crown. It's disappointing to hear, but yet it's not a complete surprise. I mean, to have them start poking around in your mouth and then tell you there's something wrong with your mouth, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. What you may not realize is that sometimes they can see things in your mouth that are indications of something deeper going on in your body. For instance, you can analyze someone's saliva and know if they have high blood sugar. Also, they've been able to tell if you've had a change in your gut biome. Uh, someone who contracts syphilis, a sexually transmitted disease, it actually affects the teeth. I did not know that. It, they could get it in your mouth and realize, oh, well, you've got this, and you don't realize it maybe. Also, your tongue. Your, your dental hygienist may realize that you have a certain mineral deficiency because of the way your tongue looks. Or they might be able to determine whether you have a uh, virus of some kind. And then sometimes we get like these mouth ulcers. Sometimes those are an indication of something deeper. A number of diseases can actually come out as a mouth ulcer, including Crohn's disease. In other words, the things going on in your mouth indicate something deeper going on. Well, that doesn't just, isn't just true physically, it's also true spiritually. The things that are happening in your mouth, in other words, your words, are often an indication of something that's going on deeper. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. If you did not bring a Bible, um, I'm going to be talking a little bit later about the importance of the Scripture and why we want you to have one. So if you need to, feel free to use the screen that's up there. But if you have a Bible on your phone, uh, feel free to use that as well. Or stop by our resource table after our worship gathering and pick up a paper copy of the Bible and make that our gift to you. That can be your everyday Bible. Uh, last week, we, as we kicked off the short two-week series, we were in the book of James, James chapter 3. And we heard James, the brother of Jesus, tell us that the tongue has the power to do three things. First, he said that the tongue has the power to drive. It, it can drive people either towards God, towards spiritual health, or it can direct to drive people, steer them away from God and, and away from spiritual health. We also saw that the tongue has the power to destroy. Uh, the way James put it is that the tongue is like a fire lit by the flames of hell itself. It has the power to burn relationships, to burn reputations, sometimes even burn your own. And then we saw that the tongue has the power to deny. That when your words and your life are not in sync, when you claim to follow Jesus, but yet you, you deny God through your words, it creates all sorts of issues and causes other people to deny not only the power of God or the love of God, but sometimes to deny even the presence or, or the existence of God. And, and so we finished the sermon by asking the question, all right, so how do we get the kind of tongue that doesn't drive people away from God, that doesn't destroy, that doesn't deny? Instead, how do we have a tongue that reflects the character of Christ? And that's what today is all about. 
It, it, James finished his, his uh, little passage on the tongue by saying that, that out of the mouth of Jesus' followers come blessing of God, but also the cursing of people. The, these people who bear the image of God, and yet we curse them. We say ill things about them. And he says, this should not be. And his ending illustration was, fresh water and salt water should not pour forth out of the same source. And so how do we go about having these lives that are filled with freshwater words? Well, we're going to hear Jesus today say, basically, to give freshwater words, you have to have a freshwater well. And that's what we see here in Matthew 15. So if you've got it open there to Matthew 15, join me at verse 10. We're going to do Matthew 15, 10 through 20. And he, Jesus, called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have read your word, but we believe that there's something here for us. It's not enough for us to just read these words and to hear them. We want these things applied. And so we pray that you would open our ears in such a way that you are the one who speaks to us. It would not be about what me, just one man who has prepared something, shares. It's what your Holy Spirit needs to, wants to convey to your people. Lord, for the person that has had a difficult week, I I pray that they wouldn't feel overwhelmed with conviction, but instead would feel called to live for you. For those of us who have messed up with our tongues this week, this would be a reminder of of what you want to do in us and through us. For the person who's listening to this that does not know you yet, that they'll hear your call to not only follow them, but to let you pour your words through them to be a blessing upon others. So Father, teach us now through, through the book of Matthew, but mostly through your Holy Spirit. And so in Jesus' name we pray and ask for it. Amen. So the 15th chapter of Matthew starts off with a conversation. Uh, There are these Pharisees and scribes, some of the religious leaders of the day, who've come up from Jerusalem to have a conversation with Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly where Jesus is at. He might be back home in Capernaum. That's where he established as his base of operations. The previous story at the end of chapter 14 is in a place called Gennesaret. Maybe he's there and they've somehow found him. All we know is that these, these Jewish leaders from uh, Jerusalem have somehow found where Jesus is at, traveled there, and they begin to have a conversation. They're asking him questions. Now, it's possible that they're asking him questions in order to say, we want to know you. We want to, to determine if you are from God. We, we want to learn from you. And, and so they're asking their questions in good faith. But because of other interactions that we see the Pharisees have with Jesus, I kind of don't think that's the case. I think they're trying to trap him. 
See, what they want to do is expose Jesus as a hypocrite. If they can get people to think Jesus is a fraud, then people will stop listening to him, and, and therefore he gets canceled, and they can go on leading Judaism as they always have. And so they decide this time to question him about hand washing. There was this little ceremonial hand washing that they would do that, that they thought honored God and that God wanted of them and requested of them. Now, the reason they're asking Jesus about this is because they said, we noticed that your disciples don't do this. Well, if the disciples aren't washing their hands through this little ceremony, that means Jesus probably isn't. Because disciples almost always would do everything that their rabbi did. But so that they can play passive aggressive, they don't say, no, Jesus, we noticed you don't do this. They're saying, oh, Jesus, oh, great rabbi and master. We, we noticed that your disciples don't adhere to this. Now, this is not about hygiene, right? Here, here's what they would do. They would hold their palms out, cup their hands into to slight little fists, and then a little bit of water would be trickled over them. They'd shake the water off, and that was the ceremony. Now, if you're doing this as a way to, like, honor God, it, it's part of your worship, by all means, go ahead and have that little ceremony. But as soon as you start saying others have to do it, now you're falling into a, a gray area because— what they're calling for is not found in the scriptures. This is not part of the Mosaic law. This is tradition that has been added on. But what they're hoping is that the crowds around will notice Jesus doesn't do this, therefore he must not be from God because he doesn't honor God with this. But Jesus wisely does not allow himself to get dragged into a debate about whether or not to scrub for 20 seconds and make the CDC happy or, or just to get a little bit of water or not do anything at all. Instead, he flips it and exposes their hypocrisy. Now, we're not going to take the time to read all of it, but if you want, go back later and read verses 1 through 9. But you'll see how Jesus points out how the scriptures is very clear on honoring father and mother. And yet because of this added tradition, like ceremonial hand washing, there was a tradition where you could ignore that command to honor mother and father if this certain gift or whatever was being given to God. He exposes their hypocrisy. And in his frustration, he realizes here is a teaching moment. And so in verse 10, he gathers the crowd. There's people around. He's like, hey, hey, everyone, come, come in here. Come here. And right there with enlisting ear of the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, he says this to everyone. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Now, our American ears in 2023 do not realize the deep controversy that this statement would have been. This was shocking. This would be like a, a theological bomb dropped upon 2,000 years of doctrine. I mean, th this is even greater and worse than when Galileo ignored the science of his day and said that the earth is not the center of the solar system. I, I, I mean, this is absolutely shocking. When Jesus says these words, the crowd around would have gasped, the Pharisees and scribes would have gasped, and even Jesus' followers, his disciples, gasped. But the Pharisees, when they gasped, they went immediately from shock to anger. And the disciples noticed their faces, saw their reaction, and immediately got concerned. That's why you see them approach Jesus in verse 12. The disciples came and said to him, 
Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? The Pharisees are not the political leaders of their day. Remember, Israel is underneath the Roman Empire at that time. But because they were a religious-based culture, religious leaders would have had much sway and influence. And so suddenly when these disciples saw not only the shock on the faces of the Pharisees, but then saw that shock switch to anger, they began to fear, what are they going to do to Jesus and therefore by extension to us? And so they're wanting like, Jesus, do, do you realize what you did? But whereas the Pharisees th- thought Jesus is now trying to ruin and destroy Judaism, instead, Jesus is trying to clarify Judaism. Jesus did not come to destroy the law. He said he came to fulfill the law, to complete it. So he's not here to destroy anything. He's trying to bring clarity about cleanliness spiritually. It is not by what you eat, which is good because I like bacon. Instead, it is by what comes out. He's referring to your words. But the disciples don't get that. This isn't clear to them. So Peter in verse 15 comes to Jesus and says, um, could you explain it to us? And in verse 16, Jesus is like, you don't get it? And so he explains it to him. Verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? It, it, it's basic biology. He's explaining the digestive system to the guys. But then he switches from the digestive system to God's system. He switches from the physical to the spiritual, verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. In other words, the things that you say proceed from your attitude, from your character, from your desires, from your internal posture, from your spiritual identity. The things that you say come from within. Which means Jesus is far more concerned about who you are inside, what's going on internally, than he is about the outward show and the religious nature. Jesus explains this even further three chapters earlier. So if you're still open there to Matthew 15, flip back to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, and we're going to be doing verses 33 through 37. As you turn there, let me just set the context. Jesus is, uh, has just healed a uh, man of a demon, all right? D- uh, exercised this demon out, and the people around have witnessed this, and they're shocked. They, they, they're amazed. And so the people start whispering to each other, like, is this the Messiah? Could, could this be the one? Whereas the people are amazed, the Pharisees are angry. They, they, they can't believe he's done this. And so they say to one another, oh, I know how he did it. He kicked out that demon via Beelzebub. Any any fifth, sixth graders that are in here, that's a great curse word. Beelzebub. All right? Get you out of a lot of trouble. It also sounds like a really cheesy heavy metal rock band. But it's their word for Satan. What they're saying is that Jesus, the son of God, frees a man from a demon who is holding the man in spiritual bondage, and they're saying he's doing this by the powers of hell. Jesus kind of looks at him and shakes his head like, Guys, just think about that logically. That makes no sense. Like, if Satan is going to defeat God, Satan isn't going to kick out Satan. 
Satan is not going to remove one of his minions. He wants to ruin people's lives. So why would he give me the power to kick a demon out when this is going to be working against him? And this would have been like Hitler attacking Japan because they bombed Pearl Harbor. No, he's cheering them on. Get those evil Americans. There's no way Satan is trying to kick out Satan. And yet they attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of Satan. And that is what leads Jesus to say these words about our words. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Right there in the middle, verse 34, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. It is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever you have deep in, that is what is going to come pouring out. And so here, these Pharisees refused to see who Jesus truly was. They're not weighing his words with what is in the scriptures. They're weighing it against their tradition. They're not seeing the miracles that he's doing. They're saying this is happening via the powers of hell. They refused to see it because their hearts were evil. Notice verse 35, the second half. He says that the evil person, out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Last year, Christianity Today had a podcast called The Rise and Hill of Mar- The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Some of you listened to it maybe a, a few episodes, but it was a story over several podcasts about a church in Seattle called Mars Hill Church that was planted by a, a very gifted communicator, a very powerful persuasive personality by a man by the name of Mark Driscoll. Mark planted this church and it grew drastically. It got to the point where not only tens of thousands, but they were planting other campuses. He was writing books that were hitting the bestseller list. He's super popular on the conference circuit. People were traveling there to learn from him. They helped start a, a church planting network called Acts 29. All sorts of churches were being planted. There was all this good, even great stuff happening. But what the podcast revealed is that underneath, there were some really ugly things happening. There were meetings where people would literally get cussed out. This is supposed to be a church of Jesus followers trying to help other people follow Jesus. And people were getting absolutely berated in a way that would make a Navy sailorman blush. Other people were just being ripped to shreds because they didn't follow through on something or failed in this way or didn't do it quite good enough. Those who dared question anything just were absolutely vilified, sequestered, and eventually removed. Those who were fired or or tried to quit were forced to sign NDAs if they wanted any sort of severance pay. There was all this ugly stuff happening underneath. It looked great out here, but underneath, we'll just have to call it what it is. It was evil. It was wrong. To tie it to last week, They were driving people away from God 
They were destroying people's lives and faith and relationships. And they were causing some people to even go so far as to deny the goodness and love of God. There are people to this day who do not believe that there is a God because of what they experienced at Mars Hill. They were not being given life-giving fresh water. They were receiving salt water, which was choking them out. That's what these Pharisees were doing. Jesus, in chapter 23 of Matthew, called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. The tombs of their day were usually caves. You'd put a body in, the body would decay. You'd then go in later, collect the bones, and put them into some sort of ceramic jar, and then all the family would be together. So you could wash the tomb outside, make it look as pretty as possible, plant some flowers, put some trees, you know, it, it could look great. But it's dead inside. There's nothing living in there. These Pharisees looked great. They're wearing the robes. They know all the right things. They even participate in the little ceremonies. And yet they were evil. They were dead. Their tongues were spewing fire, ruining and destroying the faith of so many people. They were spewing forth salt water, choking out the life that others were trying to find in God. So Jesus just called it what it is. Out of their evil treasure, they bring forth evil words. But he also says the inverse is true. Notice the first half of verse 35. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. In two weeks, we're going to return back to the book of Acts. And then at the end of May in Acts 4, we're going to meet a guy by the name of Joseph. However, most Christians do not know this guy by his name. They know him by his nickname. His nickname is Barnabas. The word Barnabas simply means son of encouragement. Have you ever had a Barnabas in your life? Man, you find a Barnabas, you tend to hang on to them. If you are married to a Barnabas, you have found a treasure. Some of you, your Barnabas is your parents. Mine are here and they've been phenomenal in my life. Some of you, it's a coach, it's a teacher, a mentor. Sometimes it's just a friend. I, one friend of mine who was a Barnabas in my life was a guy by the name of Tom. God put Tom and I in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He was the associate pastor at a church. I was the young adult pastor at a church. And it turned out that God was stirring in each of us something very, very similar. And a mutual friend put us together. And we started realizing that there was something here. And we had complementary gifts. And so we recruited some other people to help us. And we started a young adult ministry called Watershed. Now, I was not used to preaching on a regular basis. I wasn't very good. And yet, Tom just continued to encourage me over and over and over. Aaron, you were made for this. You were gifted for this. I mean, this dude was so encouraging. And so it's no surprise that when we felt God calling us on this church planning journey, and we had no denomination association that we knew of, and, and so we started our own nonprofit, the River Tree Project. Well, to start a nonprofit, you have to have a board. And so you can understand why I would invite Tom to be part of that board. Not because Tom was a yes man, oh, far from it. Tom was incredibly wise, but I also knew what I needed was an encouraging mouth because I knew that Tom would always seek to encourage us because I knew the journey we were about to head on was going to be hard. I didn't know it was going to be that hard, but I knew it was going to be hard and I needed a Barnabas in my life and Tom could fill that. The thing is though, Tom wasn't just a Barnabas to me. 
I watched Tom be a Barnabas to so many people. The young adults that were part of Watershed, the people that were at his church. I saw this guy over and over and over and over encouraging people and inspiring them. So many people were out trying to make a difference because of Tom Pete's in their life. How did Tom do it? Because he gave fresh water words from a fresh water well. How do you get the type of well though? How, how do you dig this deep well that is full of that fresh water so that you're not spewing forth in those moments of anger and frustration? Instead, what comes out of you is life-giving. Well, to dig deep, look up. A year ago in our Centered series, the study of Colossians, we heard in chapter three, verse one, that we are to seek the things that are above, not the things of earth. When you are seeking the things above, it means you are putting your heart, your attention, your thoughts, your affections on Christ, on his gospel, on his presence, on his power, on his love. When that is what you treasure, God begins to change you. It's why in Psalm 37, verse four, God says to delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, sometimes we really like the end of that. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Man, I want a million dollars. Sorry, God's not gonna give you a plan on how to rob a bank, all right? Man, I really desire that other person's spouse. God's not gonna help you get a date. This isn't about you getting sinful, selfish things. Notice the first half. When you delight yourself in the Lord, when you set your heart on things above, when he is what you want, then you desire what he desires. And so when he gives you the desires of your heart, they're what he has desired for you all along. And that is why you so often hear me pray, you will find the joy as he receives the glory. But that means as you delight on him, he is working in you. This is called sanctification. During his prayer, you, you heard uh, Jake mention, like, pray for God to sanctify us. This is just a fancy seminary word for basically the work of God to make us more like Jesus. If you received the uh, weekly email uh, a week and a half ago, uh, we talked about union with Christ. This idea that, that what does it look like for God to be working in our lives? Because sometimes we think that it's, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, so now God's going to do all the work in me to make me more like Jesus, and, and I do nothing. I just sit back and let him work. Nah, that's not right. Oh, oh, no, it's me. I got to do all the work. God saved me. Now it's up to me to make myself more like Jesus. Now that's not right either. Biblically, what we see is it's like this partnership that's incredibly deep. It's God in you wanting to work through you to transform you. And so it's him working with your full participation. So what are the tools that God uses to make you more like Jesus? What is it he uses to dig that well deep and fill it with fresh water? Well, I think the shovel he uses is the scriptures. The more you are in the word, the deeper God can dig. The digger God can deep. That would have been great if I had finished that one out. This is why we want you to have a Bible. It's why we regularly say, download a Bible to your phone. We recommend the YouVersion app because it has built-in Bible reading plans. There's audio Bibles, so you can listen in the car. I walked into the office this past week uh, for elder meeting, and Ed was already here. He had his phone out. I was like, oh, what what you reading? He goes, oh, Bible. I've been listening to the Bible. He's going through the Bible in a year. I won't tell him that you were behind. Uh, 
Don't worry, I am too. Uh, use it, use it. Download it to your phone. All right, now, I've told you the reason I don't read the Bible on my phone is because I'm on my phone way too much as it is. Right? I, it, I'll probably end up somewhere else and never get back to the Bible. So I've got to set it aside and I have to pull out paper. Right? So if you're like me, stop by our resource table. We've got Bibles there and, and they're not just for use on Sundays. They're for you to use any and every day. So get into it. If you need a Bible reading plan, we have some on our website. You can da- download, print it off, and then you have it there available or just start picking a book of the Bible. Right? God uses his word. It's not to be this, this religious duty you do. It's an invitation to hear from God himself because he uses it to dig that well deep. But God also wants to cleanse out the salt water and fill it with fresh water. And I think that the cleaning supplies that he uses is prayer. The more you abide in Christ, the more you are just in his presence and he's filling you. The more you confess your sin to him, he's washing out that salt water and that junk. So be in prayer. Too many people think that they have to have fancy prayers. The Pharisees were great at fancy prayers and yet they were evil. God is not impressed by your fancy King James language. God knows every language on the planet. You're not going to impress him by your poetry. He wants your heart. So be raw. Be honest. If you don't even know what to pray, just let the scriptures start to guide you, to lead you. You can even take like we've had here in Matthew 12, 33. You say, God, I want to be a good tree. So make me a good tree. I want to produce great fruit. So help my roots to get into the scripture. God, you say that the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. Lord, would you give me that good treasure? I know I have it in Christ. Help me to see that. Help me to set my heart on things above. Just let the scriptures begin to guide you. Just get in prayer. Another tool that God uses, I think it's to kind of seal the well of your heart are, are the relationships you can have with other people. That's why we encourage you, get into a growth group. If one of our three growth groups just cannot fit your schedule, then help us start another one. There are several of you who are not in one yet. And maybe it's because it just hasn't worked out in your schedule. So help us start another one. Even if you just have to invite one other person to do coffee or or, or breakfast or lunch once a week, to open up the Bible together, pray for one another, to do what, what we're called to in Hebrews, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The more you have these Christ-centered relationships, the more it seals your heart, protects you, and allows God to continue to dig and fill. But I'll be honest. You can do all of that and not see what you want to see. Because you can read the Bible every day. The Pharisees sure knew their Bible. You can pray. Pharisees were great at praying aloud publicly. You could even have these relationships. You could show up at your growth group. The Pharisees had all sorts of relationships with one another. Just doing those duties isn't what it's about. Ultimately, it's about surrendering to God. It's, it's letting his spirit work in you. The Spirit is the one who's going to make the Bible a shovel. The Spirit is the one who's going to make prayer that cleansing. It's the Spirit who's going to use these relationships to help you follow Jesus. So, let the Spirit lead. Surrender to Him. That's what I'm going to invite you to do during communion today. As we go to these elements, as we remember the cross of Jesus, I want you to just surrender your life to Christ. Yet again, 
I know the majority of, in here, of you in here at one time gave your life to Jesus and this matters to you. That's why you're here today. You are wanting to worship God. You're wanting to follow him. But maybe your words haven't been what you want them to be because you realize you've been having some things going on You've been frustrated about that relationship. You don't know why God hasn't answered that prayer. You don't understand why he hasn't opened those doors. And so out of that frustration, you you haven't been talking to him. You've been a little bitter. You've been ignoring him. You've been staying away from from the scriptures. This is your opportunity to say, God, I, I, I open it up to you. I give you me. Dig, wash, fill for your glory because I know it will be for my joy. As we bow our heads, it's our time to look up. As we get on our knees, we're seeking the things above. As we go after him, we're opening up because we want to see Barnabas' life-giving words coming out of us upon others. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, whether that's here in person or you're online, I'm gonna invite you, give your life to him. Jesus Christ died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He can wash you of all of this. So surrender your life to him. Let him put his spirit in you. Let him fill you. Let him begin this deep work of digging your well deeper, filling it with fresh water so that you can go and be a blessing. You can go and follow Jesus. But if you're here today and you are a follower of Christ, I invite you to come to these elements. As you take those, that bread represents the body of Jesus broken for you. That cup, that juice represents his blood, which was shed for you. As you take it, may you worship Jesus, may you thank him, but may you also give all of you so that he can dig that well, fill it with that fresh water, and you will be that blessing that our world needs. So Heavenly Father, we bow before you now, asking for you to uh, do this work in us. Lord, some of us, we've had seasons where we've, we've noticed you doing this work. And yet it, it's a, we're in a bit of a dry patch. We don't feel like the well has much in it. We uh, don't feel like the well's all that deep. We, we wonder what's going on. I pray that you would use these next few moments in communion to remind us of your love, that we would see it through the cross and the empty tomb, that we would know that you are for us, you are with us, and that even in the dry seasons, you are still here. And I pray, Father, that you would fill us. Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said it was better for you to leave so that the Spirit could come because you, Jesus, as a man, were in one place, but your Spirit can be anywhere. And your Spirit is here with us. In anyone who has put their faith in you, Jesus, you say in in Ephesians that that, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Father, would you move today that your spirit would help each of us to have our ears open, our eyes open to you, to your goodness, to your glory, so that you would do this deep work in us, so that you can do your great work through us. Lord, for the person who has never surrendered their life to you, I pray that these next few moments would be a moment of prayer, of surrender, that they would recognize that Jesus died on a cross for their sins, but rose again from the dead so that they can follow a living Savior, not just some great man who's still in the grave, but someone who is alive and who is still active, who's still talking, and who's pouring out his freshwater words upon us. So God, would you just work in these next few moments, calling sinners to repent, uh, comforting the, the, the broken 
uh, uh, convicting those of us who've been too arrogant, would you lead us to surrender it all so that you can do that deep work in us, fill us with your spirit so that even in our careless words, your life-giving words go forth and we can be those Barnabases, we can be those encouragements that our world needs. In Jesus' name I pray it, amen. So at any time during the song, feel free to move to the communion elements. Feel free to stand, feel free to kneel, feel free to sit. This is your time to just deal with God and let his spirit do what he needs to in you. Let's do this now in remembrance of him.